13. Pick your path. Well, last week we saw the birth of Samson and how he was set apart for the purpose of the Lord to become the next judge of the Israelites, the people of God, to redeem the people of God. And he and his mother were given specific instructions to live under this thing called the Nazarite vow. And a quick recap of the Nazarite vow was that Samson and his mom, from the moment he was conceived, they were to have no wine, no grape juice, no raisins, no figs. He couldn't even cut his hair. Um, couldn't even go near a dead body. Uh, it was to the point in the Nazarite vow where even if a relative were to die, they couldn't get near the dead body. They couldn't go to the funeral. And if they did, they had to like extreme socially distance. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they couldn't go near it. They, 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 there was an extreme level of being set apart. It, it was a vow to say, when people look at you, Samson, when people see you, I don't want there to be any mistake. I don't want there to be any guessing about who you belong to. And I think we have forgotten that in the Christian faith, that when people see us, when they see how we talk, when they see how we live, when they see how we respond, there doesn't need to be any question about who we belong to. And for far too long, people can look at a Christian and can wonder, who do you belong to? Have I already lost y'all? <laughs> and I believe that there is a call to start living as a people consecrated. To live as a people set apart. To live as a people who actually look like we belong to God. So Samson has been living, he's been growing up after last week, because you know when you're born you grow up. And he's been living this vow of a Nazarite. No grapes, no wine, no cutting of the hair. Remember last week, if you had your hair cut or if you uh, ate a, a grape or if you had the wine or if you did anything that messed up this vow, the entire uh, span of your vow was done away with and you had to start all over. So this was a big deal. Samson has grown up. He has lived by this vow. And now we're coming into Judges chapter 14. So starting in verse 1, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Now, we have an issue because the Philistines are the enemy that God is wanting to deliver the Israelites from. So Samson is in enemy territory, and he sees one of those women. Y'all know what I'm talking about? One of those things that you shouldn't be looking at. And when he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. Get her. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites you can marry? They asked. Why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. Now here's, I love the Bible. Now here's Samson living a consecrated life, set apart from God with all these restrictions. And then this thing catches his eye. A woman who is of an enemy tribe a woman from the Philistine nation who worships not God, but worships this God called Dagon. 
who is a God, it's a fertility God. They worship the God of how they produce money. And no one worships that God today. You know, no one worships the thing that makes them prosper. You know, no one worships the God that makes them prosper when you'll go to work with a mask but not church with a... And Samson doesn't say a thing about her worship of God. He doesn't say this woman's committed. He doesn't say this woman's a godly woman. He doesn't say a thing about her faith. He says, that girl fine. I want her. Men, how many of y'all been guilty of that? (laughs) You don't say a thing about her. Guys, y'all know what I'm talking about. When we get together, we don't say... She's so godly. <laughs> I love how she reads her Bible. It, it ain't like that. But so many of us, like Samson, are moved by what we see. And we never take it and put it before God and ask for permission. We're moved by what appeals to our eye. We're moved by what appeals to our flesh. In 1 John 2.16, it says this, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. A craving for everything we what? See. A pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. It's not the things that the Father offers, it's what the world offers. And all it has to offer is a craving. And the craving is not something that can last. A craving. You get a craving for a physical thing like Samson. And then you make a mistake and now you're dealing with breakups, you're dealing with divorce. And because you didn't take the time to find out what was underneath it all, you're making a mistake because of something you went after because of something you saw. A craving. You see the possibility of more so you make a rash decision without praying about it. And before you know it, you find yourself wishing you would have... Never made a move. A craving. You, you see something that you had to have and now you're paying off debt that you wish you didn't have. Right? You make a rash decision. You make a rash move. And before you know it, you're regretting a decision because you didn't say, God, can I? You looked at your eye and you, you saw something with your eye and you came into agreement with a craving. The pride of life, the lust of the flesh. Lust ain't just sexual. Lust is, I got to have that next bite. Right? Lust is, I got to buy that thing I can't afford. And I can't afford to tithe. But I need the church. Right? Lust is, I got to have something before I put it before God's permission. God wants all, all we desire to be put before him so that he can give us a yes or a no. And it's not because he wants us to live as these people who, who have to be like these control robots. It, it's, there's a reason behind it. He says, I see what's under the thing that you're craving with your eye. 
And I know your purpose. I know why I created you. And the thing that you see may look good for you. But I know your purpose. I know your destiny. I know the plans. And what may look good to you, I know if that thing is going to prove prosperous or as a good investment for what I created you to accomplish. And you may think that it's a good thing to go after, but I know whether or not it's going to prove good for your destiny. And where you think it may be a great investment, I see it as a great speed bump. So my no is not you can't have. My no is a it's going to put a pause on your eternity. It's going to put a pause on your destiny. It's going to put a pause on a, I have a purpose for you, and if you'll put it before me and embrace my no, you may find that you're going to walk into your purpose a lot sooner than 25 years of altar calls that you have to ask for forgiveness for. Remember last week I talked about Samson and how he had so, so much unfulfilled potential? You're about to find out Samson walked a pretty straight life as a Nazarite until this chapter. Because when you compromise on one small thing you see, it starts to open up channels of a lot more compromise. Y'all know one time I was a youth pastor, I got tased. In front of my youth group. I don't love y'all that much. I did this whole sermon about compromise. And the sermon was, the way a taser gun works is you take a gun and you shoot two needles into someone's back, and it's not the needles that take someone down. It's the needles open up a channel for a lot of power to cripple you, and it hurts. That's what compromise does. You think the one little compromise don't do much, but that one little compromise opens up a channel for a lot of power to start crippling your destiny. And you don't even realize you open up doors of compromise. Well, Samson is about, he, he's got his eyes set on this woman. Samson, are you sure you can't find anyone else? Are you sure that you can't find anyone within our tribe? Samson's like, no, she's fine. I want that girl. I don't care that she worships another God. I don't care that she doesn't believe what I believe. I just, I want that. She looks good. I want her. Just because you seek God and just because you're holy doesn't mean you don't get it wrong. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that Christians make is just because you seek God, you think that every decision is in line with God. So when you get something into your thought life, you think, God must have given me that. And you never put it before his throne. And we think that we only put the questionable things before him. But I put before you today, it's not only the bad things you ask God about or the questionable things you ask God about. You need to ask him about the good things. When you get that, should I bless? Maybe it's not for you to bless. Maybe someone else was supposed to bless, and you need to ask. Sometimes he'll say yes, sometimes he'll say no. But how dare you rob someone else of what God had planned for them? 
because you are so prideful to think that you're the only one who has the key to unlock a blessing. Right? You got a ministry idea? Ask. If you fail in the one you got now, why would God give you something else to do? Without sacrificing the one you're failing at. Is that too much? Okay. You got a word? Make sure you ask God. Should I share it? I don't know if all of you saw it, but there was such an honor in here today. You know, Kathy got a vision earlier in the worship gathering, but she prayed through it, and before she asked me, she made sure did God want her to share it with the people. And even though God gave her a yes, you know what she did? She honored the leader of the house. Right? Same for Blaze, same for Justin. But we, we don't get that. We think God gave and I have permission, but we don't, we don't understand honor. We don't understand authority in the church. We, we, we don't get all that because we don't like to trust leadership. But on the other side of that, I have to understand my role. Just because I didn't get a word don't mean I say you can't get a word because I'm scared that people will like your word over my sermon. Right? Preacher pride. Y'all don't know nothing about that, though, do y'all? God says, if it does not benefit your purpose, I don't want it for you, even if it's a good thing. But the greatness of God is this. I want to read Romans 8, 28. Is this okay? We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. Now, I read this scripture all the time, but I'm about to give you something new on it. And are called according to his purpose for them. I'm read it again. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. And are called according to the purpose or to his purpose for them. Samson has lived a life set apart, seeking God as a Nazarite. Samson loved God. Even if Samson goes after the wrong thing, because Samson's going after the wrong thing, right? He ain't looking at that woman's spirituality or her prayer life or her, you know, heavenly condition. All he sees is, that girl, fine. No, no, no. He's not looking at anything about it. But he has lived a life Set apart. Seeking God. Even if Samson goes after this wrong thing, with this scripture, can you leave that scripture up there, Michael, please? He says, because he loves me. God says, because he loves me. Because he has set himself apart for me. If he goes after the wrong thing, I can make his pursuit of the wrong thing work together for his purpose. But what the church has done is we've messed up that scripture. God can make all things work together for your good. That is not what the scripture says. I will make things work together for the good of those who love me, who are called according to my purpose for them. And what you have is people who have said a salvation prayer 
who do whatever they want and say, I can live whatever life I want to and I can make whatever bad decision I want to and it's all good to go because God's going to make it work together for your good. No, he will not. He will make it work together for those who love him. And love is an action, not just a one-time statement. If you are not living a life in love with the Father, he, your lack of investment in him will not cause him to make an investment into your wrong decisions. That's why he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and repent so that I can make it work for your good. And that's why we have casual Christianity. I can live like I want because God's just going to make it work together for my good. Yeah, obviously he is. Right? We got to read the scripture for what it says, not how we want to read it. Not just the scriptures that's going to make our chairs fill up to make people feel better about their lives apart from God. Right? That's why it's so important to live out what he identifies you as. So that when you start to crave the wrong thing, if you make a wrong decision, the goodness of God says, I can make that work. And the reason I wanted to point this out, because we're about to read the next verse in Judges in a little bit, and it, I was reading th these first four verses for four days straight because I couldn't figure it out. So y'all... You know, y'all ain't got to do the work. That's my job. <laughs> His father and mother are begging him, Samson, is there even one godly woman in this Israelite nation? Samson's like, I don't want no church, girl. And, and Samson is showing complete disregard for all he knows. He knows the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy 7, don't marry with those who worship other gods. Samson even knows a New Testament principle before, before it was even written. Don't become unequally yoked with unbelievers. Let me say that one again. Don't become unequally yoked with unbelievers. But we don't preach the other side of that. Well, what if you already are? Can I talk into that for a moment? I mean, maybe some of us are in here or hearing this on the podcast. Well, what if I already am unequally yoked? And when I say yoked, I mean married. Because if you yoked with an unbeliever and you ain't married, break up. Problem solved. <laughs> unequally yoked. You married. Unequally yoked to a non-believer. God says, well, if you would love me and seek me, I'll honor the covenant you made, and I will make it work. But do you spend more time complaining about the thing you're yoked to? Or do you invest in a relationship about the one you need to be yoked to? Okay. But there's a New Testament principle that we're about to see. With Samson. And I want to read this in 2 Timothy 2, 20-21. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver. We had some plastic gold last night. If y'all missed out, y'all can go dumpster diving behind the back. 
Some are made of wood and clay. You got the nice, you got the okay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are made for everyday use. If, if you keep yourselves pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. You can be one of, you can be one of the two things of use. You can be the kind of utensil used for anything and everything that presents itself. You say yes to anything and everything and every occasion. Kind of like Samson with this woman. Yep. That'll do. Or you can be the set-apart kind of utensil for the honorable use. You know when to say no and you know when to say yes because every occasion that presents itself, before you say yes or no, you say, God, what would you have me do? Is this for me or is this not? You pick the kind of utensil you are. Now, Samson has lived his life as the kind of utensil set apart. That was the whole point of the Nazarite vow, right? You are what? You're set apart. You live the life set apart. You ain't had a drink of wine. You ain't had a raisin. You ain't had a fig. You ain't cut your hair. You ain't been next to a dead body. You are totally different. You speak different. You ain't seen certain things. You've been different. And can I just speak into that cultural norm for a minute? I hear so many, I don't know if it's a southern thing or if it's a worldly thing, but I hear this all the time. Well, in the world, not of the world, means you need to expose yourself to things in the world but not become of it so that you can be relevant to the world. Well, let me tell you how God planned it. Adam and Eve were in the garden. And when they sinned, they saw something they were never supposed to see. So you sure you're supposed to expose yourself to certain things? We about to find Samson exposing himself to certain things that he ain't never been exposed to. Nazarite vow, don't drink wine. Guess what he's about to be near going to find his wife he shouldn't be with? He's about to get next to a wine vineyard. And he wasn't never supposed to see it in the first place. He knew it was there. Don't mean you got to go investigate. I don't know who that was for, but you're welcome. And because Samson lives this set-apart life, one mistake was not going to unqualify him for his purposes. He's been living set-apart. He is this utensil ready to be used by God. And God says, I'm going to make it work because you have lived for me. You are living set apart. I'll create an opportunity out of a bad choice to make it work for my good because you are walking in the identity of a special utensil. Let me show you the next verse, Judges 14.4. His father and mother did not realize the Lord was at work. Remember, they're begging. Samson, are you sure you don't want to marry a church girl? You sure you want to go after that pagan over there worshiping a different God? They did not realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at this time. Could God have made this work had Samson not lived set apart? 
No. But he said, because you have lived set apart, consecrated to me, I'm going to make this work. But notice it does not say God wanted this. It says God was at work creating, not God created. It was creating, present tense. This was not the plan of God the entire time. For those of you that believe you don't have free will, this scripture proves it. It makes you wonder what was the plan all along if Samson had lived consecrated, not going after that filthy Philistine who was fine. Kind of makes you wonder about some of your life decisions, doesn't it? But don't, don't think on that. Go forward. Samson should not have picked this woman. But God says, you know what, Samson? You live set apart. You love me. Let me create an opportunity out of this. Let me make this work together for my good. Because I have called you according to my purpose to redeem the Israelites. That doesn't mean he makes all your choices work for you. It's when you're seeking him. Living a life set apart. God allowed Samson to pursue what he wanted and he created an opportunity to make it work for the good of Samson's purpose. Next verse, verse 5. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near, near the vineyards of Timnah. I've got to stop right here and point something out. On the way to meet his wife that he should not have been marrying, he was near vineyards. What was his Nazarite vow? No wine, no grapes. And on the way to the woman he should not have been pursuing, he found himself near vineyards that he shouldn't be partaking of. Because oftentimes one compromise will easily put you in the position for more. What separates Samson from a lot of people is that he didn't compromise in a place of no pursuit. He was living the set-apart life in the vow. And I'm not sure if he was looking at the vineyards or if he turned his eyes from the vineyards because he was living in the set-apart life. But he shouldn't have been near the vineyards. He had no reason to go toward the vineyards. He didn't know what wine tasted like. He didn't know what a raisin tasted like. He didn't walk by. He didn't say, let me go pick some raisins to eat one day. He didn't have any desire to go near it. And some of us still have desires to go near certain things that you say you died to and the new life resurrected in Christ Jesus. But for some reason, you can't die to old habits. And you claim you live a life set apart but you still find your eyes shifting back to the old thing. Maybe you need to sacrifice some more things to be set apart. He's on his way to this woman that he should not have been looking at, should not have been pursuing. Now he gets near these vineyards that he shouldn't be near, and then a lion attacks him. Verse 6. 
at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Why? He was a special utensil set apart for the Lord's purpose. He loved the Lord. He was seeking the Lord. And even though he made a mistake, because he was a man seeking God, when an attack came, he was ready for God to move through him. I think sometimes we forget that when you live a life with God, we forget that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And even though in a life of mistakes, that does not unqualify you for the Lord working on your behalf. Just because you made one mistake, God doesn't say, I'm gone. He says, I will what? Never leave you. Why? My son paid a debt for it. I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. If you think I left you, you're the one who turned your back, not me. Samson was walking this into compromise and then a lion attack. And it doesn't say Samson like, like you know, bowed up to the lion. It says the spirit of the Lord came upon powerfully upon him and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat, but he did not tell his father and mother about it. God did not turn his back on him. God came upon him, empowered him, and did something that he otherwise could not do. His strength came from who? Not himself. His strength came from the Lord. Because he was set apart for a special purpose. And he didn't even go brag about it. But there's a reason. But before we get to that reason, I wonder what you could be used for if you were to live a life ready to be used for a moment. I wonder how many times you find yourself in a position where you need some supernatural strength, but it just doesn't show up because you haven't been a, living a life set apart or even living a life in love with the Father that you claim you love. And then you find yourself in depression and anxiety and worry. You find yourself in a dark place in the corner wishing when someone was there when God says, I've been there the entire time. Exactly. And God's like, I'll tell you what you did. You didn't turn to me. Right? God's like, I'm here. If you will just surrender to me, I will empower you with everything you need. But I've got another thing to point out about this. Is this born? Did you notice that he was traveling with his parents? But it says when the lion attacked and the spirit came upon him and he ripped open the jaws of the lion, who did he not tell? His parents. That means that his parents weren't with him at the vineyards. That means that he didn't have to go to the vineyards to get the Timnah. That means he was with mama and daddy going after the Philistine woman that he shouldn't have been going after. And then when he was with mommy and daddy going for one compromise, for some reason he said, y'all go on ahead. And he started going toward another compromise. 
and he went toward this other compromise of the vineyard, of the wine, of the figs, of the raisins, right? And a lion showed up and attacked him. And I have to wonder sometimes, what are some of the battles you are facing as God's just trying to shift your attention? What if God's allowing certain battles because he's trying to shift your attention back to your need for him because you've been walking in the wrong direction? And he says, pick your path. You've been walking toward this one compromise, and on the way to that compromise, you're walking toward another compromise. Then you find a battle that you feel like is way too strong, like a lion coming at you. And you have to be reminded that Jesus says, the devil roams around like a roaring lion. But don't forget that if you seek me, you will find me, and I will empower you with the strength to rip the jaws of something that presents itself like a lion. I don't know why I'm dealing with this. Why are you walking toward a direction that caused you to deal with it? If he would have never went toward the vineyards, there would have never been a lion that he had to rip jaws open with. Think about it. The strength that, was, that overcame Samson by the Lord was never meant for lions. It was meant for Philistines. I wonder how much effort God, or I wonder how much strength you've exuded in other battles that you were never meant to fight because you've been walking on the wrong path the entire time and they were meant to a specific fight. You've been fighting religious systems and they were meant to fight strongholds of the area. Right? You're still fighting strongholds of your own life. And they're meant to break down strongholds in your family, right? Like husbands, you're stealing with dying to yourself and you're wondering why your kids can't get straight? Well, they under your oil. Oh, okay. I don't know why my kids are so bad. They're your kids. Oil flows from the head down. That scripture ain't just there to read and make you feel good. Oil flows from the head down, the head of the household. My kids are horrible. It's because you're the head of the household. I don't know if that was good. <laughs> it's, it's blaming on God. I mean, it's the Bible. Well, actually, blame it on you. Just thank God. Okay. Pick your path. In Samson's case, though, even though God just showed up and did a mighty thing through him, he still keeps walking down a path of compromise. Because even when God shows up, you still pick your path. You, you still pick your path. Look what happens in verse 7. Samson arrives in Timnah, and he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her has a whole conversation with this woman. That means he found out she worships Dagon. She doesn't believe in Yahweh. She doesn't believe in anything he believes in. And he's like, yeah, I'm pleased with her. And men, you, you know what that's like. 
when a woman ain't got no depth, but you don't care? Well, the married men don't know what that's like. But maybe in your past you know what that's like. Not, maybe not all of y'all. I know what that's like. I'm man enough to admit it. I've made some mistakes in my life. That girl, fine. Well, what's her personality like? That girl, fine. <laughs> okay. Lord, I apologize. <laughs> Verse 8. Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. What is the Nazarite not supposed to do? Be around that body. Compromise. 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 And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. So he scooped some honey into his hands and ate it along the way. He also gave some to his father and mother, and they ate it, but he didn't tell them he had taken honey from the carcass of the lion. Do you... And I know y'all laughing, but you know what that just meant? That means his mother just broke the Nazarite vow. He spoke to this woman, knew that she was not someone that was pleasing to God, still got it by his eyes. Then he went by this dead body of the lion, scooped up this honey, ate it, gave it to his parents, didn't tell them. The Nazarite vow, thrown out the window at this point, only thing left is his hair. That's the next chapter. Compromise, 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 compromise. Live the vow, but look how quickly he's walking down the path of compromise. Walking away from his set-apart life. And he looks into this dead thing, and he gets this sweet honey, and he feasts on it. You know, a lot of times you can get all this outside stuff right. Like living the religious system. I go to church and I'll read my Bible and I'll go to prayer time and I'll do all the stuff. But there's no depth to the relationship. You're just doing it to make sure you're checking off all the boxes. And he kills this dead lion. Or he kills this lion. And he kept compromising. Spirit of God comes on and makes it happen. And then he feasted on the compromise of going next to the dead body. He feasted on the compromise. Because compromise will make you think it's worth it because it can taste good. And I've read a lot of theologians about this passage talking about well, the honey represents that God can take a dead thing and make it a good thing, but I just think some of them got it wrong. He should have never went near that lion. God said, the reason I wanted you to kill it is to get rid of the, the battle and never go back to it. He goes back to it to revel in his own victory not remembering that it was the Lord's. And then he starts eating off of the compromise. And that's exactly what we do. He goes to this woman. 
he's pleased with his compromise, then he walks back to his home, then he gets off the path again, picking the wrong path, and he goes back to his compromise. You know how you go back to your memories sometimes? Or you go back to a compromise, but it just tastes so good? Because it's appealing to that flesh. It's appealing to your heart. That the most deceitful thing that you can have. It's appealing so you feast on it. This makes me feel whole. This makes me feel good. Right? All this compromise. And it was all after the Holy Spirit came upon him to conquer the lion. Which is something that I think we need to make mention of. And I think it's something that especially the spirit-filled, charismatic Pentecostal churches get wrong. That I'm going to bring the light today. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit does not make a person godlier. It gives the resources to carry out his will. Godliness comes out of communion and relationship not out of moments of outpouring. Because outpouring can happen in times of maturity and immaturity. Because it's for his glory, not yours. Oh, they got tongues. They must be spiritually mature. That tongue wasn't for your glory, sir. Oh, they healed someone. They must know God. That healing wasn't for your glory, sir. He may not have known him, but he may have been so dumb in the spirit that God could use him because he wasn't trying to overthink the situation. Do not equate maturity with moments of outpouring. Look at Samson. Ripped apart the jaws of a lion because of the outpouring of the spirit. I'm still going after that woman, still going after vineyards. Let me feast on the carcass of a dead lion, but I've lived my whole life as a Nazarite. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Look at verse 10. His father was making final arrangements for the marriage. So Samson threw a party at Timnah, as was the custom for elite young men. When the bride's parents saw him, they selected 30 young men from the town to be his companions. You know what the custom was? Timnah was in the vineyards. It was a drinking bachelor party. Another compromise. But remember, now remember, Samson has still led a set-apart life. Now, he's making some mistakes, but he, love, he, is, he is in love with the Father. I don't know about you, but I, just because I've made some mistakes in my life doesn't mean I've never not loved the Father. Right? And God says, because you love me, Samson, I can take all this and make it work. So look what happens in verse 12. Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle. A riddle. If you solve my riddle during these seven days of the celebration, that's seven days of vineyard drinking. That's all. Okay. I will give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you must give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. Now he's gambling. All right. They agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he said, riddle me this. No. He said, some of y'all got that. Some of, you, some of you are too holy. But So he said, 
Out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Three days later, they were still trying to figure it out. They were having a good time, and Samson makes a friendly wager, and now we're starting to see that thing that God was creating. Verse 15. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your man to explain the riddle for us. Or are we going to burn your father's house with you in it? Did you invite us to the party just to make us poor? They all about the celebration until they're going to lose their stuff. We talking about 30 cents of clothes, people. We don't want to lose our clothes. I mean, I kind of identify with that. I ain't going to lose my buckle wardrobe. At the threat of losing riches, remember, who are these people? The Philistines. These are the people oppressing the people of God. At the threat of losing their stuff, they said, hey, um, your Israelite husband, if you don't get him to tell us the answer so we don't lose our riches, we're going to burn your father's house down with you in it. So find out the information. The compromise path has led him to the very people that God wanted to deliver the Israelites from, not Miriam. And when you walk down the wrong path, eventually you're going to start to see some truth you won't like at some point. And you got to make a change instead of starting to continue down the path. Samson has continued down this path, and now Samson's going to start to see his wife for who she truly is. Now, this is the part of the scripture that a lot of guys are going to identify with. Verse 16. So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, you don't love me. You hate me. You've given my people a riddle. But y'all ever know those people, guys and girls? You just must not love me. You ain't doing what I want. That's called manipulation. You know what the Bible calls manipulation? Witchcraft. Y'all know why the Bible calls manipulation witchcraft? Because it's causing things to happen you don't see happen because of a feeling of... You don't love me. You hate me. And it ain't just the whole, the, the whole woman, the wife-husband thing. It's friendships. It's church people. Well, you must not like my church anymore because you ain't been here in three weeks. Right? Well, you, you, must, not, you must not like love God because you, ha you, you weren't here last week in church. Well, I, I was sick. Get over yourself, right? Right? I'm just calling... You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I hadn't even given the answer to my father and mother. He replied, why should I tell you? So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it for the rest of the celebration. Seven days of crying will, will, make, will make anyone buckle under some pressure. So at last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting her with her nagging. I don't know why y'all laughing. I ain't going to say nothing on that one. Y'all ever been around naggers? 
Pastor Kyle, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can Those people ain't at church anymore. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then she explained the riddle to the young man. She knew how to manipulate the situation, nagging him with tears. But look at her loyalty. It wasn't to her husband. I don't want to lose my father's house or my life. Now, this is a man who just ripped the jaws open of a lion. And she's worried about 30 guys burning down her house. She's got more faith in what they can do than the covering of her husband. Kind of like how people have more faith in what a disease can do than the covering of their God. Or more faith in what, can I say it? More faith in what a, the wrong president can do than the protection of our God. Having said that, having said that, it ain't over. Keep praying. But watch where you put your faith in. Where's your faith? <laughs> she was not acting on godly principles. Of course not. She don't believe in God. The moment there was a chance her home was going to be lost, all her loyalty was to herself. 2 Corinthians 11, 14-15. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. No wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment and their wicked deeds deserve. Let me, yeah, that's something to celebrate. But let me just remind you, demons don't always look like demons. They look nice and good and pleasing to the eye. They look like good things. They disguise themselves as light. Satan does it too. Disguises himself as a good decision. Disguises themselves as God-like. That's what this woman doing. Show me you love me. Seems great. Show me your loyalty, Samson. I'm your wife. Seems good. Verse 18. So before the sunset of the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with the answer. What's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? Samson replied, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. I'm not going to tell you what that word heifer meant, but... Called his wife a heifer. <laughs> Try that today, husbands. <laughs> the woman that he, the woman seven days ago that he saw and says that girl fine. Seven days later, saw her for what she really was. Yeah, that heifer you've been talking to. The reason you knew my riddle. And all of a sudden, he saw her for what she was. That she didn't trust him as her husband because she's looking out for herself. And all of a sudden, this is when you see how God's been working all this the entire time since he made the wrong decisions. Verse 19. And then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The moment he saw her for what she was, he went down to the town of Ascalon and killed 30 men. 
Who are the men? Philistines. What was Samson's purpose? To deliver the Israelites from the who? Took their belongings and gave their clothing to the men who saw the riddle. He had to pay his due somehow, right? But Samson was furious about what had happened. And he went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given a marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. Killed 30 Philistines, said, I ain't living with this woman, I'm going home. And then the woman was given a marriage to his best man, who was a Philistine. Let me read verse 4 again. His father and mother did not realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines. He made a bad decision, but because he was set apart, out of every compromise, because of what Samson was, a set-apart, consecrated man of God, God said, I'm going to make this work because I know you. I know your innermost being, Samson. I knitted you. I created you from before you were in your mother's womb. I know your weak places. I know your strong places. I, and matter of fact, I know your weak places so much that you could not have handled that lion, so my spirit came upon you. To handle it. And I know your anger. And I know how you were so easily able to fall in love with the Philistines. So let me create an opportunity for you to have anger against the Philistines. And before you know it, he can't trust his wife. He goes back home to live with his parents. And now his wife is married to his best man who is of the tribe of 30 people he just killed. Verse 15. I'm almost done. I'm only 10 minutes sober. This is quick today, believe it or not. Later on, during the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat as a present to his wife. He loyal. He said, I'm going to my wife's room to sleep with her. But her father wouldn't let him. I truly thought you must hate her. Her father explains, well, I gave her a marriage to your best man. But look, her younger sister is even more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. Now, a chapter ago, what will Samson's response be? She fine. But Samson ain't like that anymore. Because now he's starting to see again. Samson said this time, I'm not going to blame for everything I'm going to do to you, Philistines. He's, he's starting to see. Because when you set apart and you've made some compromises and you start to see truth and you start to walk back in the opposite direction like Samson did, back to your father, you don't make the same mistakes again. Samson's mad. Samson said, I ain't going to compromise again. Look at verse 4. So he went out. He caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together in pairs, fastened a torch to each pair of the tails. Then he lit the torches, let the fox run through the grain fields of the Philistines. Now this is the issue because who they worshiping? Dagon. This field was how they made what? Money. He about to torch their income. He burned all their grain to the ground, including the sheaves and the uncut grain. He destroyed their vineyards and their olive groves. The thing that he was about to compromise on, he's destroying. 
You see how he's making a whole 180? Not a 360. He said, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm destroying the thing that I was about to go to. That's called repentance. Who did this? The Philistines demanded Samson. Because of his father-in-law from Timnah gave his wife to marry to his best man. So the Philistines went and got the woman and her father and burned them to death. You know what that probably caused in Samson? Even more what? Anger. And I can just imagine God's like, God's like, opportunity. Because you did this, Samson bowed. I will not rest until I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. So then he went to live in a cave in the rock of Etam. Burned down the thing that they were obsessed with. Started a war. Samson makes a vow, I'm not going to rest. And he kills many. He's starting to make it work. Now look at verse 9. The Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah, spreading out near the town of Lehi. The men of Judah asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, we've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us. 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson at the cave, the rock of Etam. 3,000 men to get one. They said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What you doing to us? Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. They burned my wife. They burned my father-in-law. I burned their crops. But the men of Judah told him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right. It kind of reminds me of Jesus. When they arrested him, he didn't put up a fight. Because he knew that his arrest was the key to the deliverance. Samson is set apart for a purpose. What was the purpose? Deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. He is now walking with God. So when the people said, we're going to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, he's like, are you taking me to the enemy? All right. Bring it. But promise that you won't kill me yourselves. We will only tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, they replied. We won't kill you. They tied him up with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Verse 14. As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph, but the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. He snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax. They fell from his wrists, and then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up, and he killed 1,000 Philistines with it. He mad. And then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. And when he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone. The place was named Jawbone Hill. You know what's crazy? Every judge up to this point has had to have an army to kill a thousand. You know what Samson needed? Himself. Because he had lived a life set apart. A whole life set apart. So that when God wanted to do something crazy through him, 
It wasn't impossible. It was just that God said, you know, you've made a lot of compromises, so I'm going to have to make some things work. But in making it work, it's going to hurt you. What do you mean it hurt him? Well, his, his, his wife was burned to death. See, don't, 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 don't get me wrong. When you make some compromise, it's going to cost you. God making it work together for your good doesn't mean you're going to not lose some things. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through some heartache. It doesn't mean that it won't take a long time. It's going to cost you. It's going to hurt. It's going to cause you to lose some things. But in that process, it's for one purpose, to get you back on a path. But will you pick the path? Will you pick the path of sacrifice? Will you pick the path of I will surrender everything for God? To let him use me, to do whatever he wants through me, to let him be my strength, to let him be my source of life, to let him be my everything, that I might have to lose some to to gain more, and the more might not look like a gain to anyone else. What will I lose so that I can gain for the purposes of his glory and not mine? What if my gain is not my gain? What if my gain is only his? And as soon as he had this huge victory, I think this is probably the best part of the passage to me, which is what I'm going to close with. Verse 18. Samson was now very thirsty. Well, I suppose so. You could just kill a thousand men with a jawbone. And he cried out to the Lord. I'm going to stop right there. This entire chapter, all this compromise, he has totally thrown away most of the Nazarite vow. But God has used him. And when he's tired and he's done with the purpose of finally starting to redeem the people from the Philistines, he's walking in his purpose. You know the first thing he does? cries out to the Lord. Because after you walk in what you're supposed to be doing, thirst will come. You get tired. You get empty. If you're walking in what God's calling you, you will not stay filled up. If you look at the life of Peter, every time he went, and poured out what God wanted to do. It says he went back to the church and says he got filled with the Spirit. He got filled up. That's why there's no such thing as just a second baptism of the Holy Ghost or a first baptism. There's a first and a second and a 35th and a 65th and a 100th and a 200th. You have to go get filled up every time you pour out. Because what does filling up mean? To be immersed in the presence of God. The problem is half of us get filled up with the presence of God, but we never exude anything. We never go pour it out. We never go serve anyone. We think second baptism in the Spirit is like an experiential thing where we have to get a gift of the Spirit. No, 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 no. It's, It's being filled up to go pour. That's what Samson's doing. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, filled him up, 
so that he could pour out the strength to kill a thousand. And the very first thing he said, I'm thirsty. Lord, you've accomplished this great victory by the strength of your servant. Must, now die, must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? So God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground of Lehi, and Samson was revived as he drank. We think it's, it's, it's a bad thing to admit when we're exhausted. But perhaps that's the most humbling moment and the most powerful thing to admit your de- need and dependence for God. You know what, God, I'm tired. And the reason I'm tired is because of what you've done through me. And maybe if you haven't been walking in what God's been wanting to do through you, maybe it's a wake-up call to maybe you haven't been walking in the right path. And you start asking God, you know what, God, what do you want me to do? And I'm not talking about well, I, I need to just do more ministry and, and not... No, 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 no. Your ministry is what you're called to do. It's your job. It's your occupation. It's what you do after you get home. It's your family. Just because it's not something in the church doesn't mean that's not your call. Your call doesn't start when you get home. Your call is everything you put your mind and heart and will to that God has blessed you with. It's how you manage it. So you know what? Get filled up before you go to work. And when you get home, get filled up before you respond to your kids by the way they're reacting. Or if you're not in the mood to pour into your wife or your husband... Maybe you should go to your quiet place and get filled up so you pour into rather than take away from. Maybe the the key to more in this house as people who praise and worship at another level is get filled up and come here and pour it out. And by the time you pour it out, you get filled up. To go pour it out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Samson's like, I'm thirsty. And God is not like, well, go find something to drink. No, he's like, here. Because you know what? He says, I know your every need. And he loves us so much that he says, I want to provide it. All you got to do is ask. In accordance with my will for your life. God caused water to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi. Samson was revived as he drank. Then he named that place the spring of the one who cried out. And it's still in Lehi to this day. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated the land. His relationship was reestablished. Samson judged for 20 years. Many times you may be on the wrong path. But when you submit to God's leading and reestablish communion with him, years of disengagement can redeem with impossible victories. All you've got to do is say, God, sometimes it's God I'm thirsty. Sometimes it's God I've compromised. Sometimes it's, Lord, what would you have me do? 
But I know one thing. No matter where you've been or what you've done, he still wants to use you. And you know how I know that? Because you're still here. So pick your path. Let him strengthen you. Let him guide you. Let him redeem what you think has been lost. And bring you into great purpose and great things. Amen.